If you grew up playing sports, chances are you played some basketball. And if you're a fan of the game, you know all the big names. LeBron, Kobe, Magic, Michael, Coach K, the Wizard of Westwood, the General. But what if you had the opportunity to call some of these great names from a center court seat? Well, today we talked to one of those broadcasters who's had that seat, not only for college basketball games, but for matchups as well in the NBA. Welcome to our episode on basketball play-by-play here on Sports Booth. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on this edition of Sports Booth. I'm your host, Matt McConnell. Basketball play-by-play is one of the most popular career tracks available to those who are interested in doing sports broadcasting. For one, there are plenty of opportunities out there when you consider not only the pro game, but also the hundreds of colleges who field teams each season. There's also high school games and minor league ones as well. And calling games can be as exciting as any other sport. You sit at center court for the call. You have a close-up view of the action. You have officials consulting you on calls in the game. What's not to love? Think about it. A courtside seat puts you closer to the action than any other major sport. In hockey, we call games from press boxes hundreds of feet above the ice. The same is true in football, where many of the broadcasters use binoculars to see the players on the field. In baseball, press boxes are located behind home plate and are often greatly elevated from the field of play. But not basketball. Your sideline seat makes you feel as if you're part of the game, and that adds to the excitement level of calling the action. Now, I've done a decent amount of basketball in my career, almost all of it at the college level. I've called games for CBS Sports Network and Pac-12 Networks, and in college, yeah, I called a handful of games at Michigan State. Basketball is the one sport where player research is the lowest in terms of sheer numbers. Most teams go 12 to 15 players deep, with a starting five playing the majority of the available minutes. In hockey, that number's close to 20 per team. In football, the numbers are even higher. And in baseball, there's the starting nine per team, plus several bench players that might see action. I often tell the story about my 15 minutes of fame that didn't take place in a hockey game at all, but instead calling an NBA game on TNT. At the time, I was calling games for the Atlanta Thrashers, and we had just wrapped up a game in Toronto against the Maple Leafs. When we got to the airport, we found out our plane had a mechanical issue, and that forced the team to stay overnight. So by the next morning, they had fixed the plane. But a snowstorm had moved into the region, delaying our departure. Now, unbeknownst to me, TNT was scheduled to televise the Nuggets-Raptors game that night with Marv Albert on the call. But Marv couldn't make it in from New York because of the weather. Besides that, he nearly lost his voice the night before, calling a Knicks game that had gone to triple overtime. So as I'm waiting out the delay in my Toronto hotel room, my phone rings. And it was the suits at Turner Sports down in Atlanta. They were in a bind, and they needed a fill-in play-by-play person for that night's game on TNT. Hey, Matt, have you ever called basketball before, they asked. You know, I have, I answered back. I've called some high school games and a few when I was back in college. So the next thing I hear over the phone is, how would you like to call tonight's NBA game on TNT? You know, I got to say I was shocked. 
Never did I think their questions were leading to a decision regarding my ability to call the game that night or not. In the end, yeah, I said yes. So here I am, six hours from tip-off, and I don't know a thing about either team. Honestly, it's pretty tough to follow the NBA when you're calling NHL games and the two seasons coincide. And I'm sure the NBA broadcasters around the league would tell you the same about the NHL. Being a Michigan State guy, all I knew was Morris Peterson played for the Raptors and Kevin Willis, a Michigan State alum, was in the lineup for the Nuggets. So I crammed. I mean, I took the next three, four hours or so to get as much information down on a makeshift board that I possibly could. My priority was getting on the air clean, then playing off the comments of my broadcast partners, Mike Fratello and Cheryl Miller. Hey, I thought that was a pretty good strategy, if you will, considering I only had a few hours to prepare, right? The show went well, and by the end of the night, the sweat on my dress shirt was noticeable. And Mike, Cheryl, and the entire crew couldn't have been nicer and more accommodating. A few days later, back in Atlanta, executive producer Mike Pearl invited me to his office to offer his thanks and congratulations on a job well done. It was a highlight of my career and a great lesson for all of you listening today. And that is, never turn down an opportunity. Hey, don't be afraid to take a chance. Prepare hard for every game and embrace pressure. Pushing yourself will make you better. Our guest today is one of the finest basketball broadcasters in the country. Dave Pash has become a fixture on ABC calling NBA games. He's also a familiar face on ESPN with his work on college basketball. But his work doesn't stop there. He's also the radio voice of the Arizona Cardinals and one of the top teams on ESPN calling college football games every weekend. And along the way, he's called baseball and yes, even hockey. In 2019, the Syracuse alum was inducted into the WAER Radio Hall of Fame, joining the likes of Mike Tirico, Sean McDonough, and Ian Eagle. Dave is one of our biggest guests yet, and it's great to have him on today's episode. Dave, I got to ask you, you know, you've done pretty much everything, football, basketball. I know you've done some baseball. You've even done some hockey back in the day. We, we could have had you on for any play-by-play segment, but we are going to talk about basketball. But first, when did you start calling games and what was the first sport you did way back when? Well, thanks for having me on, Matt. So I, when I realized uh, towards the end of my uh, high school career I played golf in high school was a pretty good golfer but not you know good enough to play collegiately I was a decent basketball player but certainly not good enough to play college basketball and I wanted to stay involved in sports somehow Uh, I wanted to try acting or stand-up comedy but I was not good at either so (laughs) a way to to be involved somehow in the entertainment industry uh, I thought was broadcasting I, I had fallen in love with Dick Vitale watching I was growing up in Madison, Wisconsin, watching Syracuse basketball on TV. They're on all the time um, when I was in high school. And Dickie V was unique uh, to me. He was so entertaining. And he just brought the alley-oops that Sherman Douglas was throwing to Derek Coleman to life. And I wanted to, to go to Syracuse because I love the basketball team. And also because he started to talk all the time uh, in the middle of his broadcast, of course, about all these announcers that came out of Syracuse, and I recognized a lot of the names, 
particular Bob Costas and Marv Albert. So I went to Syracuse and it was there that you know, I was trained and worked at the student radio station and started doing football and basketball. Uh, after college, my first job was in Morgantown, West Virginia, covering city council meetings, doing high school football, high school basketball. And wow. then a year out of college, uh, we uh, moved to Detroit and I was doing local radio there and had an opportunity to get involved with the Detroit Vipers of the IHL. I knew nothing, despite growing up in Madison, I knew nothing really about hockey. <laughs> I, I remember, well, a couple things about that experience. Number one, I was running the board. I was getting paid like 50 bucks a game to run the board and call the, the radio side of it because they were simulcasting. Oh, yeah. I was in the press box, and, and on the other side of the press box was Rick Dudley, who was the GM of the Vipers. Yep. And I just remember Rick would yell and scream at the <laughs> officials the entire game, and you could hear him. So he was, he was my color commentator without realizing it. He was on the other side of the press box, but you could totally hear him. And then the, the PR director, I can't remember his name. I mean, I knew nothing of the, the official signals or anything. I mean, he basically, if there was a penalty, he would turn around and signal to me what the penalty was. I think at one point he probably was just, you know, deceiving me just to, uh, just to have fun with me, telling me it was one penalty when it was something else. I mean, I, I really didn't know much about hockey. Um, but I started to learn more. I know you had worked with Darren Elliott, and I remember working with Darren. And then when I got to Chicago, I did pre and post for the Blackhawks. And, you know, Pat Foley was really helpful and Dale Talon, a couple other people, Billy Jaffe, um, just helping sure. me get better at learning the sport. But I wasn't a hockey guy. I didn't know the sport very well. And I missed play-by-play because the two years in Chicago, I was, you know, doing a talk show. It was at the end of the last dance, the last year of the Bulls. So oh, wow. we were talking bulls all the time and uh, talking about the Bears, of course, and, and a little bit of the Blackhawks. But I think they made the playoffs 28 straight years, and the two years I was there, they missed. Uh, so well, did I, I they give you a car out of town at the same yeah. time? <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah that, they, that, you know, it's, it's, hockey's an interesting sport because, as you know, you've got to kind of work your way in with a lot of the players and coaches because – you know, it's, it's a sport that, you know, not everybody knows. And I, I learned it. Darren Pang was really helpful. I just kind of learned the sport. Um, but, yeah, the fact they weren't very good and there were a bunch of coaches that came through there in the two years I was there, uh, there was a lot of turmoil. But, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I just missed the play-by-play. And the Syracuse job came open, the football and basketball job at Syracuse. So they were looking to hire somebody that had uh, a background at Syracuse. I got the job. and you know, that was in 1990, see, 1999. Uh, We were there for three years and then moved out to Arizona in 2002. Wow. Wow. And that's, you know, and it's all about, I'll tell you what, that must have been a thrill to go back to Syracuse, you know, because I know if I ever had a chance to call Michigan State games, it would, it'd be a thrill. I've done a few on the college side. And it was always a lot of fun. What, what amazes me, Dave, when I watch you on television, I, I may see you doing a noon game on ESPN on a Saturday, college football. And then I may be in my car Sunday afternoon listening to you call the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, you do the NBA on a- ABC. You, you go back and forth between all the, all the different sports, whether it's college football, whether it's Cardinals, whether it's uh, pro basketball in the NBA. How do you manage all of that? How do, how, do you, how do you manage going back and forth between sports? How do you manage the partners? I mean, you, you've, got, you've got all sorts of broadcast relationships you've got to manage. How, how do you handle all that? 
It's a great question. Uh, I think it's, it's constantly, I'm constantly growing in that area. I think the experience of doing minor league hockey in a sport that I really didn't know very well, doing lacrosse at Syracuse, you know, when we all wanted to do football and basketball as students at Syracuse, part of the training ground was you had to do lacrosse. And again, it was a sport I knew nothing about. When I got to ESPN, uh, one of the first things I did was something called the Great Outdoor Games. I, I think during, uh, maybe it was late March, they were replaying some of the Great Outdoor Games, and uh, I was doing dog jumping. Jimmy Dykes was the analyst, and Stacy Dales was our reporter. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, I had to do, I did a sausage eating contest. So I think I had to do so many different things to try to work my way up and work with different partners that I, I guess I just got used to it. I didn't know anything else. So um, I, I, I think all of that is helpful for people that are starting off in the business. And I always tell people, you know, just do get as many reps as you can with as many people as you can, because uh, that's going to help you grow. You know, it's, it's, it, it's much easier to call an NFL game or an NBA game because you know who everybody is. Yep. You're likely in a pretty good broadcast position. Uh, I mean, that's the easy stuff. The hard stuff is the minor league sports, high school football, or even the non-traditional sports like the great outdoor games doing uh, archery, which I think I did one of the years I did it, you know, where you just, you have to learn everything and you're relying so much on your, on your partner for all the expertise. So I just think it was those early years, Matt, of scratching and clawing for anything and, and just doing whatever I could that, that really helped me to kind of adjust uh, to, to the different sports, different levels, and different analysts. Dave, do you find that when you go from basketball over to college football and back and forth, do you, do you think that makes you a better broadcaster? And I say that because I know that, you know, I'm mainly a hockey guy, but when I've done the one-offs, whether it's college basketball or a little bit of college football, it fires me up, it energizes me, it's something different. And then I go back to hockey and I'm excited to be back there, and it energizes me as well. Do you find that? Yeah, I think we're always looking for a challenge, right? Uh, you right. know, it's, I remember a guy told me a long time ago, I don't know if this is the greatest analogy, but, you know, when I really was trying to get into play-by-play, he said, you know, play-by-play is like a drug. When you do it, you just you can't get enough. And I, and I talked to some of my analysts about this that do games over studio. They say, man, there's just, you know, former coaches or former players you know, there's just a rush that you get from doing a game, being a part of the game and being a part of the documentation. So yeah, when you're moving around and trying different sports and doing different things, it does energize you. It's a, it's a new challenge. It's a different kind of rush, you know, doing a, a yep. different sport. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about your partners and I want to get into that a little bit more about how, how you manage the booth, how you manage your partners. And I'm not saying it's all up to you. Obviously it's a, we all know it's a team effort, but you know, on the Cardinals games, you'll, you'll work with Ron Wolfley. I, I believe in college football, I've seen you with Tom Luganville and, and other, other people and college basketball. You do a lot of stuff with, with Bill Walton. Now, those are three distinct personalities. Do you go into a game knowing that, okay, it's going to be more X's and O's with this person uh, as opposed to this other person? And, you know, Bill Walton, I would imagine you got to give a lot of space to, but, you know, maybe hmm. Bill's a, an outlier, if you will. You know what I mean? He's very, certainly very entertaining. But how do you handle all of that? Yeah, it, it's, 
it, it's a fun challenge. You know, looking at college football the, over the 16 years, you know, I've had so many different partners. You mentioned, you know, the last four years I've been with Greg McElroy in the booth and Tom Luganville, our field analyst. Prior to that, was with Brian Greasy for four years. And I worked with Brian's dad, Bob, and Chris Spielman for a few years. I worked with Urban Meyer for a year yeah. uh, between Florida and Ohio State for him. And uh, that was probably, you know, a good that, – that year with Urban was really good because, you know, it was the first time I think – I maybe did, you know, a basketball game here or there, but a full season with someone who had never been in broadcasting before. I did some games with Coach Knight, Bob Knight, did some games with Rick Majerus on basketball, but with Urban, it was consistent. It was every week. So you were able to kind of grow with him over yes. the course of that season. And I think that was really helpful when I started working with Bill because I had done some games with Bill on NBA my first year in 2006. Uh, when Tarico had Monday night or had something else, you know, I was kind of like the, the fill-in guy. It was like the swing guy. I think I did maybe 10 games or something at first year. And a lot of the games were with Bill. And, you know, he, he was different then than he is now, but he was still Bill. I mean, he still would say things that, you know, were uh, would catch you off guard. You had to be on your toes. And so when ESPN got the Pac-12 contract and they put us together, I guess it would have been 2012 or 2013, uh, I kind of had an idea of what I was getting into, but it's still something that even after eight years together, you know, it changes every game because he changes every game. It's, sure. you know, we don't rehearse. It's all spontaneous. He, he doesn't even want to talk to me before the game. He doesn't want to <laughs> sit with me and shoot around. I mean, he wants it to be like we hadn't seen each other since the last game. And I, I think oh, – wow. I think in his mind, you know, he, we did a, a, a shoot at his house a couple of years ago and he's bench pressing. And while he's bench pressing, he's calling out Kareem's name. And then he starts calling out my name while he's bench pressing. It's very <laughs> strange, obviously. But I think, you know, because Kareem, he loves Kareem, he respects Kareem, but, you know, Kareem was his adversary. Right. And I think he kind of views me in that same way. Like I'm the adversary. I'm the one that motivates him, even though I'm a teammate. Right. Yeah, you know, I think I think he uses that kind of uh, <laughs> uh, the the adversarial role of of the play by play guy to kind of fuel him in, in the broadcast. I know it's very <laughs> strange, but first of all, he'd be like, "Who who are you talking about?" But then, oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. But then he, he would he would I think agree that yeah, I'm his uh, I'm his his adversary out there. Well, that's interesting, and and. In, in terms of the game prep, Dave, let, let's move on to that so some of the, the students can get an idea of how you handle your, your, game, your game load, I guess, whether it's you know, basketball, football, whatever. So, so how, do you how, how do you manage that? Like what, what's a typical week for you like when you're getting ready for a college basketball game? And along those lines, what do you do when your seasons overlap where you might have an early Pac-12 game in Tucson and then you got Cardinals and then two days later you're, you're getting ready for a, a noon kick on ESPN. How do, you, how do you manage all that? What's a week like for you? Yeah, it's, um, you know, like you said, there's some, you know, weeks during November uh, where you might have all four sports or two sports, but four, you know, pro college basketball and football going on. So, uh, you know, college football, the Cardinals, because you're doing the same team every week, as you know, it's much easier when you're doing the same team. You know, radio is a little bit easier. You don't have the, uh, you know, all the, the, the elements that go with television. With radio, you're pretty much just doing the game. So the prep work is, is not as arduous as it is for, 
college football where sometimes you're learning two new teams. You don't have the same teams each week. And the college basketball, because of the uniqueness of Bill, you know, I'm not prepping like I would for an NBA game where, you know, I'm going through all the research notes for each game. I'm going through all the stories for the full year of the NBA uh, and, and talking about the league and talking about, you know, advancing certain stories and revisiting important stories with, with, with Bill. It's like a new thing every game. And a lot of it you can't uh, prepare for. But right. yeah, there's weeks. I mean, I, you know, the Cardinals had a, uh, I was able to do Maui last year. It was the first time I was able to do the Maui Invitational. But I had a Saturday night game in Baton Rouge at LSU. And I remember, you know, having to go from LSU to Maui the next day, getting off a plane, going right to the arena to, to my first college basketball games of the year because it's November, to watch eight practices to get ready for, you know, two games Monday, two games Tuesday, two games Wednesday. Yeah. So you're trying to learn these teams. You're at shoot around. You're talking to coaches. I always think talking to the coaches uh, and the sports information directors or public relation director is the most important thing you can do. Absolutely. Uh, helping get stories about the players and learning about the team. But again, with Bill, you're not going to spend as much time on stats. Uh, you, it's still your job, obviously, to document the game. But, you know, a lot of the prep, with Bill is just, it's just unique. You know, doing a game with Doris Burke is a lot different in terms of preparation than it is doing a game with Bill. And they're both excellent and both unique. And I've actually done a game with Doris and Bill together, which was fun. But yeah, you just, you kind of prep. Sometimes it depends on who your partner is because you just know there are certain things that you're not going to get to uh, and certain areas, you know, certain pathways you know you're not going to go down. Dave, you mentioned Doris Burke, and I, I want to touch on her for just a second. I, I don't know her, but I think she's outstanding. And I would imagine that Doris prepares harder than anybody you've worked with in the past. And for some of the females listening to this and trying to get an idea of, of the path, I, I would think Doris Burke would be role model A number one. Doris is phenomenal. I, I, I've always said this. I think she's as good as any analyst on any sport uh, at ESPN. And maybe you could make that case, uh, you know, for the entire business. You know, I, I did some WNBA games for the New York Liberty Radio 20 years ago with Doris, really before both of us were at ESPN. And then we worked together uh, on many platforms at ESPN over the last two, two decades it's been fun watching her ascension. Uh, I still think, you know, she is, I still think there are bigger things even in her future. I mean, I just think she's tremendous. I think, you know, she's recognized now universally as uh, just an awesome broadcaster. Uh, she, she has the respect of everybody. She knows the game so well. She does a great job with breaking things down in a way that people can understand it. Yep. He is uh, great at telling stories and working with uh, her different broadcast partners that she's had to work with over the years. So, uh, I, again, I just I, I think the world of Doris as a person and as an announcer. Dave, speaking of prep, let's uh, let's get into your boards. Everybody does a board. I'm an Excel guy. <laughs> I, I like to uh, have everything in Excel and kind of buttoned up. Uh, what's included in your board and, and typically how long does it take you to set up a college basketball or football or NBA board? You know, for NBA and college basketball, I will have on Excel, all I have is 
the number and the name. And then I'll print that out and I will fill in all the other information. I will tape that, uh, the two pieces of paper on either side of the manila folder okay. uh, on a legal size manila folder. And then I will write in all the information. And again, for NBA, you're writing in a lot more information than you are for college. Uh, simply because, you know, you're not going to get to most of it with Bill. <laughs> um, and that's not saying that, you know, that's not a negative. It's just, that's just how our broadcast goes. Uh, you know, with NBA, you've got to have all, you know, all the stats, all the info, all the player info, uh, because, you know, the games are a little bit longer. You're touching on more things. So, you know, I, I, I just find when I handwrite things, I, I have a better way of retaining the information. I don't look down at my board as much, right. you know, college football, uh, there is somebody that does my board for me. But again, all I want on there is name, number, uh, weight, height, weight, uh, and, and where they're from and in what year. And again, I'll put in the stats. I'll write in all the, the information because it just helps me to retain it. You know, the Cardinals board, uh, you know, again, I'll sometimes I'm just, cr- you know, I'll cross out a number and put in a different number. I, I'll try not to change that every week because I don't need to do that. I don't need to change it every week because it's just for me, right? I mean, you're using right. your board. You have a spotter, but you know, it's your board's going to look different than mine. And I always tell people like, don't, you know, use your board how, because you're the only one that's really going to read it. So whatever right. works for you, you got to take it all out, do it. And if you got to, you know, just do it all by hand because it helps you memorize, then, then go for it. Going back and forth between radio and TV, you know, you're, you're on the radio for, for Cardinals and then you, you jump over and you do a TV game. Is there a, a challenge there? Do you, do you do a mental check in terms of your level of description when you go over to radio as opposed to television? Yeah, I remember when I first started doing TV. So back when I was, you know, I did in Chicago a couple things, you know, high school stuff, uh, you know, when I was, um, you know, doing radio in Chicago and then when I got the Syracuse job, I ended, doing, ended up doing uh, the Buffalo Bills preseason TV and NFL Europe. And, and Bob Costas was a great sounding board. I would send him uh, tape. He'd watch it. He'd give me some feedback. I got to know him through the Syracuse connection. You know, Bob was really helpful about, you know, if you think, I'm trying to remember the quote exactly, but if you, if you feel like you're not talking enough, you're still probably talking too much. Uh, in other words, economy of words, uh, Vince Scully used to say, it's a medium of captions, right? Television, yep. you just, you're barely talking. And I think I almost went too far to the extreme where I didn't say anything. <laughs> yep. So I think I started when I was going back and forth early on, you know, college football. My first three years at ESPN, I was doing Friday night college football TV and then radio with the Cardinals. So I at least had the day in between to kind of catch my breath. But then as time went on doing the Saturday, Sunday, you know, you just, I just got so used to the transition, but, you know, I think initially I I did such probably too far, you know, where I barely would say anything on television to then starting to weave in some of the descriptive terms I'd use on radio into television without going too far and just remembering on TV, you know, after a big play, you know, to lay out, to let the crowd do its job, to right. let the director do his job. Because uh, I think that's easy for people that are used to doing radio to start doing television. And you talk too much during the play, but you talk way too much after the play. And so I just think laying out after the play a lot of times is, is really helpful, especially a big play when the crowd's involved and, and the director's cutting and doing his thing. So the, 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 fan that's watching at home isn't interrupted by you 
uh, he or she's enjoying uh, the shots that the director is giving of the crowd or the band or, you know, the quarterback celebrating. Well, and I think that's good advice that goes to the point of, I've always believed that you never put yourself ahead of the game. I think our generation has created some screamers. I, I try to, I, I think there's a fine line of getting fired up and enthusiastic, but not going over that line to ruin the experience for the listener or the viewer. And it's all about, I, I think it's having respect for the game, Dave. I, I, think, it's, I, I think it's revering the game and, and just making a conscientious attempt never to upstage the game. I think it's a fine line, right? Uh, we all have to, to grow in terms of, of finding the right tone for the big call. Yep. And, and, and I, I, I mean, there's some of the calls that I've had over the years that I, I don't even want to, I don't want to hear. <laughs> I don't want to listen to because either, either I didn't give it the right energy that it deserved or I went overboard. And I, you know, probably in the last seven or eight years, I feel like I've really found a groove in terms of how to handle the big calls mm -hmm. and your voice inflection, the, 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 the words you use, uh, your pace. Uh, uh, and again, you know, I think just looking back, I remember one of the, uh, the game, I think it was the end of the 03 Cardinal season, Josh McCown's uh, Hail Mary at uh, the final game of the season that, that knocked, uh, it knocked the, uh, I think it knocked the, the Vikings out of the playoffs, number one. And it dropped the Cardinals down from the first pick to the third pick where they drafted Larry Fitzgerald. The point was I looked back at that call and I was, I was screaming. It was terrible. Like uh, I, heard, <laughs> I heard the call the, like maybe a month ago. I was like, oh my goodness, brutal. <laughs> so it's just, I, I think it does take time though, because yeah, you're right. You want to, you just want to match the experience for the fan, but it's it's more like the average fan. You can't you can't go to the extreme of okay, a diehard Cardinal fan, you know, the, the biggest Cardinal fan after a big play is gonna be screaming and, and throwing things and excitement and jumping around the room, but you can't go there. You you've got to go below that person. You've got to kind of go somewhere in the middle right. so that you're not, you know, you don't sound like you're bored, but you're also not so over the top. And I, I think that's hard to do. I just, I think it takes time. You know, it's funny when my first year in the NHL, I was doing radio for the Anaheim Ducks, the mighty Ducks back then. And I remember calling a goal and, and it was the first time I'd ever worked with a, with an analyst. I was working with Kings legend, Charlie Simmer and, you know, Korea scores. Oh, what a play picked up the puck in the corner and cut to the front of the net. And Charlie, what, what a, what a play by number nine. And Charlie just turns to me and says, that's right, Matt. <laughs> and, it was, and, and, and we're, you know, he was laughing and we're all laughing because I, I gave him nowhere to go in terms of analyzing the play. And, and, you know, it's funny because I remember that 26, 27 years later, and I thought it was always a, a, a good lesson. So you've made mistakes. I've made a ton of mistakes. And, and when we getting this back to the students and, and you see these kids in college and they're getting reps, what do you think the biggest mistake students make while they're in college studying sports broadcasting, whether it's the call or whether it's experience, what would you say? What, what do you think is their biggest mistake? Well, you know, the things have changed so much, you know, I, I, man, I find the more people send me their stuff that I listen to, they're much better 
stricter than I was in college. You know, oh, I, 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 I have, um, what's that you do? You do agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I find people are, are so much more polished than I was. And maybe it's because, you know, there's so many more, there's so many different ways to get started. Talk radio is just becoming a thing other than WFAN in New York. When I was at Syracuse, you didn't have a lot of sports radio stations around the country. I mean, there were some, but there weren't a ton. Uh, and, and now the student radio station at Syracuse that I worked at, you know, now they have a talk show that you can do. So there are other ways to get involved. I just think it's, it, it you get more comfortable with your voice when you have a background doing talk show because you're not broadcasting. You're just, you're just talking, which is what right. we're supposed to be doing when we're broadcasting. But I sure. think, you know, the, the mistake that I still hear from some is, you know, trying to be someone they're not you know, trying to, to have the, the perfect radio voice or the TV voice that they think they should have. I hear less of that because uh, I know I tried to do that when I was, you know, coming out of college. Uh, but I would say that's still probably the, the biggest thing is, you know, people trying to sound like someone instead of just being conversational and, you know, being comfortable with their voice. You mentioned Dick Vitale, uh, Dave, who had a, a, a major impact on you. Any other mentors that, that you've really admired the way they call games uh, down through the years? Well, I mentioned, you know, Bob Costas and Marv Albert. You know, one of the really cool things was when I got hired to be the Syracuse play-by-play guy, I was 26. I, I replaced a guy that, you know, this was after my, my hockey uh, stuff in Detroit and Chicago and talk show experience, you know, missing play by play and the opportunity to go back to Syracuse. You know, I had replaced a guy that had been there for 20 years. It was a huge fan favorite. And I think the, the university was a little concerned and I, I think it was a smart move with, okay, we're bringing in somebody no one knows who's been out of college for, you know, four or five years. Let's have him, let's, let's make this about, the broadcast school and have him do games with all these Syracuse alums. So, I mean, I did a game with, uh, with Dick Stockton, uh, with Marv, with Tariko, with Sean McDonough, with Ian Eagle. And, and, you know, because, you know, Sean is like 10 years older than me, Mike, maybe, you know, seven or eight, Ian about five, but they were certainly more in uh, closer to me in age than, you know, Marv and some of these other guys and Marv and like Dick Stockton. When I see Dick now, we still talk about, you know, doing that together 25 years ago. And, you know, he's been incredibly helpful. And I remember growing up watching Dick Stockton doing the NBA, uh, you know, Dick, Marv, Bob, uh, those were the bench, Bob Costas, you know, those were the benchmark guys, but yeah. the guys closer to my age, you know, Sean has been so helpful, you know, Tariko, Ian, uh, you know, even though those guys are closer in age to me, I mean, I, you know, I, I look up to them so much for how they call a game. You know, I think Sean McDonough probably as much as anybody is the one guy that I think all Syracuse announcers pattern themselves after. Uh, just his pace, his energy on big calls, uh, how he tells stories, uh, his voice. You know, I just I've always felt Sean is uh, the gold standard, you know, nowadays for for play by play announcers. And look, there's plenty of non-Syracuse guys that I'm not mentioning who've had a big impact, who've been very helpful uh, when I've had questions or just kindness. Like Jim Nance and Kevin Harlan are like two of the nicest guys on the planet. And I remember a conversation with Jim, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, I met him briefly and then happened. My wife and I were in New York for the Big East tournament. I was working for ESPN. 
Jim happened to be at the same restaurant. He came over and just sat down and started talking. And I just, wow. you know, I've just tried to remember that. I, I know it's easy. I don't know if you've come across this map, but you know, everybody, when you're doing a game, and especially I found this with Bill, there's a lot of people that come around the table. They obviously want to talk to Bill, but you know, I get a lot of people that are students, you know, that are trying to get into broadcasting and, you know, you're trying to prep for a game, but I always try to be kind and just be available and, I'll, I'll tell them, Hey, send me your stuff. Uh, because I remember what guys did for me. You know, I wouldn't be where right. I am today without, you know, all the people I mentioned before. So I'm hopeful that I can help somebody in, in some small way, get better at their craft. You mentioned Sean McDonough. I was, I was doing sideline for D2 D3 on CBS Sportsnet for the uh, NCAA lacrosse uh, several years ago. And I met Sean who was there calling the D1 game for ESPN couldn't have been nicer to me. And what I find, Dave, and I hear it through your story, is that the bigger the personalities in our business, the nicer they are. I mean, they're, they're gentle giants. They are always willing to help. They're not, you know, they're not afraid of anybody, you know, taking their, taking their livelihood or their jobs or anything. It, 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 they're, they're just genuinely nice people. In my sport, Doc Emmerich, Bill Clement back in the day at ESPN. The, the, the higher they get, the bigger they get, the nicer they seem to be. Yeah, I remember, again, my brief time in hockey, getting a chance to, to meet Doc and Bill. Gary Thorne uh, was doing stuff for ESPN at the time. You know, Steve Levy uh, was, was doing hockey then. Um, and, you know, these are all national guys, and I was just doing, you know, local radio stuff in Chicago. And, yeah, they – they could have been nicer. So I think you're right. I think it, across, you know, all the sports, I, I, I think, I, I think we all want to help. Yeah. I, I, you know, it is a cutthroat business, but at the same time, you know, it's, I, I, I haven't found a lot of people. I mean, there are some of course, but it's the minority of people that, you know, aren't uh, willing to help. Most everybody I've come in contact with, you know, it never has felt threatened or, you know, is afraid of giving advice because they're worried about you taking their gig. And so I've just tried to do the same thing, right? If, if someone's got a question, uh, just be open and happy to answer them because, again, just remembering where I was. And, and I'm sure, you know, Doc Emmerich and, and Jim Nance and Joe Buck, the guys that are at the top of their craft in their respective sports, Tarico, they all remember what it was like to be, you know, 19, 20 years old and, and, and looking for help to try to grow as a broadcaster. Dave, this was fantastic. Thanks for the advice uh, to the students. Really appreciate your candor. And hopefully we can catch up down the road, my friend. You got it, man. Thanks for having me on. You know, when it comes to versatility, Dave is right at the top. A two-sport veteran that's risen through the ranks to his place among the very best. Someone who can juggle schedules and partners and a sports broadcaster that is always prepared. So remember, if you find yourself calling dog jumping or sausage eating contests, remember it could eventually lead to a national gig. And as Dave has done through the years, work hard and be ready for your opportunity. Don't forget, if you have any sports broadcasting questions, email the show at pxpquestions at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at SportsBoothPod1. And make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed our visit with Dave Pash of ESPN and ABC. 
Until next time, I'm Matt McConnell saying so long until we meet again on another edition of Sports Booth.